This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hello and welcome to the Giving Thought podcast uh, with your host, Adam, which is me, and Rod. Hey, Rod. Hello. So today we're going to be talking about transparency. Uh, actually, it's a subject that comes up so often, and if you listen to this podcast, I'm sure you're also interested in philanthropy and civil society. I hope you are. Um, and as a result, it can be a little boring because it's kind of, it's your kind of uh, meat and potatoes stuff. You know, everyone agrees that we need more of it. Or do they? So uh, to start off with, I guess, making the case for why actually we do need a lot more of it, uh, I'm going to hand you over to Rod. Rod. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, I suppose, as you say, it's kind of, it's definitely one of those things that's received wisdom in the philanthropy world and beyond that, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant and so you know the more transparency we have about philanthropists and what they do and foundations and charities and the way that they operate the better um you know and i think uh, to some extent that's very hard to argue with there's you know there's a kind of a sense that if you push back on ideas of transparency you've got something to hide and people quite rightly wonder why and we are going to talk in the next section about you know actually why the situation might be a bit more complicated than but, um, you know, to kind of make the case for why transparency uh, in general, uh, you know, all other things being equal probably is a good thing. I suppose the starting point is to pick up on you know, the sort of stuff we were talking about in the last episode of this podcast about um, philanthropy and, you know, the effect that it can have on democracy, where, you know, big donors with a lot of money uh, to spend use that often to kind of pursue uh, semi-political agendas or to drive social change. And there's a kind of question about whether that results in a democratic deficit. And one of the solutions that's often proposed to that, or at least parcel solutions, is just to have a lot more uh, transparency um, about who these people are and, and what they're doing uh, on the basis, I suppose, that if we are to have uh, some chance of holding them to account, we need to at least know what they're doing. Um, and it's kind of, you know, a very stark example of this was uh, in an article in Bloomberg, I think it must have been a couple of years ago now, but they'd done um, an amazing piece of investigative journalism, actually, about these four, I think, or three or four hedge fund uh, billionaires, essentially, who uh, were doing a lot in terms of philanthropy and kind of medical philanthropy. Um, but they kind of created this amazingly complex and opaque structure of kind of multiple foundations and operating companies and all this stuff. Uh, and the guy from Bloomberg did an incredible infographic showing this sort of vast network. Um, uh, but as a result, when he took all this stuff in total, they added up to being the fourth largest nonprofit in the US, which is you know incredible. And yet nobody knew really before this article who these guys were. Nobody really understood, um, you know, why they were doing what they were doing and yet they were having a very determinate effect on the direction of funding for um yeah. medical research in the US and you know the obvious question in that case it sort of makes that stark point well you know if it's the fourth largest nonprofit in the US you would expect to have some sort of transparency uh, or some chance of at least understanding who the people involved with it were and what it was doing 
um, and that was just totally missing in, in that case. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link um, to that infographic yeah. and article yeah, in yeah. the show notes because it's it's well worth looking at as an example of kind of a, a, a sort of dystopian view of what what the world would look like without any transparency. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose it's worth saying, you know, that's it's a very stark uh, example that, but it highlights a, a bigger trend around the world of philanthropy and foundations. It has to be said. So I think there's a um a stat from the foundation center in in the US which is somewhere between 10 and 15% of foundations have a website so obviously right. flip that on its head that means that 90 or 85% of the foundations in the US don't even have a website so there's abs- there's virtually no way that you'd be able to find out any information about them and obviously that's in total a very very large amount of money going towards trying to kind of direct social policy and and address social yeah. causes uh, and that's you know that's a big concern, um, and one I suppose one of the interesting things at the moment is to kind of people uh, are obviously you know in favour of transparency and see it as an important tool in kind of driving greater accountability and better governance, and and there's a kind of interesting technological angle to it. One bit of which we're going to come on to in detail later on, but but just sort of broadly, there's this whole movement towards opening up data, the kind of you know open yeah. data, big data movement. Um, and that's something that's really started to touch on the world of philanthropy and foundations, because I think they're finding themselves coming under increasing pressure to not only publish the data about where they get their money and how they spend it, but to do so in a way that where it can be used by other people uh, to kind of actually impart more knowledge about the nonprofit world rather than just kind of hiding it away on a PDF in the bottom of a website somewhere. Um, yeah. And, and Yeah. And the argument goes not not without you know a degree of uh, of justification that uh, when you reveal your data uh, and see everyone else's data, that will inevitably lead to questions about uh, where you're spending your money and whether that's the most effective thing you do with your money. As we'll see, that can have some negative side effects as well. But uh, in some areas, it's pretty it's uh, pretty undeniable that. Uh, it can be an advantage, for instance, if you realise that there's a huge amount of duplication of funding in one area and a massive gap in funding in another area. It would, you know, it would uh, offer uh, the possibility to make sure that that, uh, that funding is uh, is spread out and used more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's one case in point. And sort of broader point to be made there is anyone who spent any time working in the area of kind of charitable giving philanthropy in the world of non-profits uh, and trying to understand you know how much money there is what it's going to how, kind of how it moves all yeah. that sort of stuff you very quickly come to realize that it's not a world overburdened with no. lots of data you know it's it's extremely difficult to get that information and that you know that's to its detriment um so the more data that's available the better our understanding will be and hopefully we can make giving more effective and that surely is the kind of desirable end goal Absolutely. Uh, look, we we like many other organisations publish uh, a lot of research about the you know, the sort of size and scope of philanthropy. Uh, but the one thing that we're not able to do is talk with any degree of confidence about the total size of the philanthropic economy in the world, mm. because there just isn't any reliable data for that. Um, no. Which you know, uh, if we're supposed to be one of the more progressive parts of the economy, that seems kind of weird. It does. 
But having made uh, you know a, a case there for why transparency would uh, be a really, really good thing, should we try and make a case for why you might want to switch the lights back off again? Yeah, let's tear it all down in the next section. Okay, so yeah, we're back. Uh, and here we're going to be doing the much less popular segment entitled Why You Wouldn't Want Any Transparency in the Philanthropy <laughs> World. Um, so, I mean, Adam, do you want to kick us off with uh, a counterintuitive argument? Yeah, yeah. I, there's actually a number of them uh, with varying de- degrees of strength, but you can make a pretty compelling case, I think, uh, in perhaps not for philanthropy writ large, but for, for definitely for, for areas of it. Uh, I, I guess the first one is the the most simple one, which is, you know, the value of anonymity. Um, and a lot of this uh, kind of connects to the sort of psychological uh, rewards that you get for giving uh, and, and some of the kind of cultures and traditions around giving as well, around the idea that you kind of, you give and not only ask for nothing in return, but take steps to ensure that you can't get anything in return to sort of avoid reciprocity. And the best way of doing that is not telling anyone that you're giving, um, uh, particularly in, in certain religions, you know, there's a, a real expectation that you, you, you kind of give quietly uh, and humbly yeah. and don't ask for anything in return. So that's, that's the first thing to get out there and it, it's easy to sort of step over, but, you know, giving is, uh, is quite an emotional thing many philanthropists uh and i that can't just be swept aside as as uh as as a kind of issue of significance um the second thing that i would i would point to is the idea that transparency can have some pretty uh negative unintended consequences in certain areas of of philanthropy that is to say that giving uh anonymously can actually be safer and can result to better uh, better impact. So let's take, for example, the funding of human rights defenders. So maybe even pick gay rights activists in a country like Uganda, where uh, the government has laws which is undermining rights of individuals around sexual orientation and around education. Uh, now, Given this, uh, a number of funders want to want to fund uh, human rights defenders who seek to uh, kind of address that issue. Now, were they to do that transparently, um, that would essentially give the authorities information about who is being funded to do it, and they would know exactly where to go and crack down. It's also likely that they would block the funding for those kind of activities. Now, you can take any number of different examples where this might be the case. For example, you could have taken back in, uh, back in the day uh, funding to civil society organisations that were trying to fight apartheid in South Africa. Now, a few would argue that uh, transparency that resulted in the inability to fund that kind of work would make present-day South Africa would have made present-day South Africa a better place. So there are examples where transparency can uh, can result in risks, uh, both for getting the money through, but also for people uh, on the ground that are in receipt of it. Um, it's worth saying that as a kind of proof in, in, uh, in point, um, there is a, a group that call themselves the like-minded group, of countries uh, that are active within the, in the UN. Uh, so that 
you know, in, includes countries like China, uh, India, a number of other African and Latin American countries that are not fully onboarded with uh, the kind of human rights agenda. Um, and they, uh, they've they responded to this, uh, to the idea of transparency very positively. They see the idea of making philanthropy as transparent as possible a really good idea because that will you know, give them oversight of what isn't, isn't being funded. Uh, and the, you know, that has been that transparency and effectiveness agenda has actually been used to try and close the space for our civil society and philanthropy. So I'm going to read you a quote from India on behalf of the like minded group of, uh, of nations at the UN. Uh, they said, um, the advocacy for civil society should be tempered by the need for responsibility openness and transparency and accountability of civil society organizations yeah it's um yeah it's interesting um and i suppose just to to add to that a couple of other you know possible arguments you might make um kind of uh, in favor of keeping transparency uh, in check to some degree i mean one goes back to a previous episode of this podcast where we were talking about inequality um yeah. and you know one of the things we said there was actually you know, there's a, there's a sort of fundamental paradox in using philanthropy to address inequality because it's, you know, inequality is a prerequisite of philanthropy and so can you use it as a tool to address it? And we suggested there that one possible solution to that paradox was to pursue a philanthropy strategy that was based around supporting grassroots organisations rather than kind of building your own organisations and perhaps even doing that anonymously. Mm. And so... Full transparency in that context, you know, could be seen as as holding back a, a kind of more radical progressive agenda when it comes to addressing inequality. Um, the the fourth one that I just flag up because I think it's probably relevant to what we'll talk about in the next section is, is related, I think, a bit to to what you've been saying, Adam. Um, although the there's a danger; it sounds a bit more venal, and that is if you've got a hundred percent transparency. I mean, yes, there's a danger in your kind of malign governments can see uh, where you're funding and, and use that for their own purposes. There's also a danger that uh, donors will then be in a position to make their own decisions about what does or doesn't constitute a good or effective charity. Now, that, that might sound like a good thing, but I think until some of the problems uh, bedeviling the sector in terms of kind of cracking the nut of impact uh, measurement and reporting and kind of challenging some of the, the misconceptions about things like spending on core costs and overheads have been sorted. It would be a concern if transparency mm. overtook that so that, you know, somebody just one day switched the lights on, everybody suddenly could see everything that charities were doing and that was being spent on them. But they hadn't been kind of given the, the the means to educate themselves about how to to assess you know which charities were doing good work and and weren't. So instead, they just decided to kind of take something like a a brute measurement of how much they were spending on administrative costs, which you know for various reasons that we've probably discussed before, and I'm sure we'll come back to again, isn't actually a very good way yeah. of measuring the effectiveness of charities. Um, so actually, in that case, it's not that transparency is inherently a bad thing in the long term it's just that there are quite a lot of things we need to do to get the sort of non-profit world's house in order before we get that degree of transparency i think 
Uh, and so, yeah, having having made those, uh, I think, you know, pretty compelling cases, I think, for uh, why you might not want so much transparency. Uh, I think in the next section, we're going to come on to look at one specific uh, kind of technological advance that is uh, taking the world by storm at the moment, which is blockchain technology. Uh, attempt to, <laughs> to briefly to explain what that is and why we think it's relevant to this question and then kind of focus in on uh, the impact that's going to have on transparency. Strap in, everybody. Okay, so yeah, here we are for the, the final section. As I say, the, the idea here is to talk a bit about uh, blockchain technology and particularly the impact that that's going to have on this issue of transparency. Now, we at CAF have been doing uh, quite a bit of work actually on blockchain for uh, a few years now for one reason or another. Uh, we sort of got into it partially by accident, but we've built quite a lot on that and developed you know, quite a lot of thinking about uh, the way that this technology might impact on donors, but also on the work of charities. Um, and I think we'll probably come back to this issue quite a lot because we've got quite a lot of material on it. Um, but, but the thing to talk about today is, is sort of why this is relevant to transparency. So in the smallest possible nutshell that I can manage, uh, blockchain technology is basically all about distributed public ledgers okay that doesn't explain anything what it basically means it's a it's a way of keeping records secure kind of uh, records that can't be tampered with but without the need for traditional third parties so you know like banks and lawyers at the moment all of the sort of forms of double entry bookkeeping that you that we have which have been around for hundreds of years require there to be somebody to play the role of bookkeeper who is separate from the two parties in the transaction now Without going into how it does it, the blockchain technology essentially means that you can have the benefits of, of double entry bookkeeping, but you don't need to have a separate bookkeeper. Basically, everyone in the system plays the role of bookkeeper at the same time. So what you have then is this record of who owns what and who's been transacting with who that everyone can see, everyone can access, and nobody controls or is kind of controlled by everyone in the system because they're all responsible for maintaining it and what that potentially means is that you have basically a kind of version of radical transparency so if you assume that uh, blockchain was used for people to make donations to charity and there are already projects working on this it enables uh, an extreme version of uh, transparency around those donations uh, partly because everybody can see the ledger, so everybody can kind of look at what everybody else is doing and what they're giving to. But also another crucial thing is that each bit of, of or each asset recorded on a blockchain, whether that be kind of uh, money or, or something else, uh, is unique and it's not fungible in the sense you can't swap it for another one uh, without noticing. Whereas you know something like cash is fungible. If I've got a tenner and you've got a tenner, Adam, and I give you my tenner and you give me yours nobody would ever know that it doesn't make any difference to the system whereas yeah. if i if i had one bitcoin and you had one and we swapped them over we have two different bitcoins in our yeah. pockets essentially at that point and what this means in the context of philanthropy is you know you have a system where people make donations on the blockchain well they can then track their individual donation into that charity all the way through the charity and basically out the other side potentially even to the beneficiary, you know, assuming that everybody still stays on the, on the blockchain. Um, and I think the argument uh, around the various projects that have already been put in place uh, that are doing this is, you know, 
this is great because it can massively enhance transparency and therefore kind of boost levels of trust in uh, in charities and, and philanthropy. But it, it really also makes very stark some of the issues that we've been talking about in the previous section about why, you know, total transparency might not be such a good thing. So uh, all of these things about, you know, if, if uh, malign governments could just download a copy of the blockchain and see where all of the philanthropists uh, giving into their country were giving. They'd essentially have a laundry list of human rights yeah. activists operating in their country. Similarly, you know, if this stuff happened before charities had had a chance or taken the opportunity to kind of talk to their donors about, you know, why there is a need to spend on certain things that might be seen as core costs those donors will just be able to see whatever they want and make their own decisions. And those won't necessarily be the best ones when it comes to kind of maximizing efficiency. So, you know, this raises a lot of concerns. Mm. And as ever, I think we're at a point with a lot of technologies where the the pace of uh, adoption and change is getting to be exponential. So whilst, you know, a lot of people probably listen to this podcast have either not heard of blockchain or have sort of vaguely heard of it and think oh well you know why are you talking about that it's not that relevant it really is taking off yeah. uh, at a fairly frightening pace um yes there's a lot of hype as well but also there are a lot of very big financial services companies tech companies governments you know all getting on board with this stuff and trying to make it work exactly. the danger the danger is that it basically happens to charities and donors rather than them being in a position to take advantage of it. And that really concerns me. So at, at the risk of, of showing favouritism, Rod, it, it might be a good idea uh, for you to just pick uh, an example of uh, uh, an existing uh, service or organisation that's actually looking to kind of use blockchain uh, in a philanthropic context. Yeah, I mean, I can I can quickly mention uh, probably three so that it doesn't look like favoritism. Okay. Also, yeah, there are good. only a handful. And so there's in the US, the, the BitGive Foundation um, has a thing called GiveTrack. So they, they already take donations in Bitcoin, but they've also set up a project doing precisely what we're talking about, which is using blockchain technology to enable people to track donations. And it's kind of in a sort of minimum viable product stage at the moment so it's a you know it's limited number of organizations you can give to but you can sort of see how it would work yep um slightly different but similar kind of idea over here in the uk there's uh, a startup called alice that is doing uh something similar but with with an added twist which is that kind of your donations get held until the organization uh in receipt of them can prove that it's met the required outcomes and then the payments are made but again, you can kind of use blockchain to track all of that. And there are also organizations like Disperse, for instance, which is doing this in a kind of international development context to try and crack some of those problems around, you know, concerns about governance and uh, corruption when money is moving um, uh, across borders, either philanthropically or from kind of government aid agencies and using blockchain to try and make that whole process much more transparent. Uh, yeah. And they're all they're all at a sort of, either pilot or kind of early um, viable product stage, but it's, you know, it's definitely this stuff is happening. But yeah, I think so, you know, I think we'll come back to blockchain technology. It's one of the things, you know, we've done plenty of work on and it's it's a kind of fascinating area that throws up all sorts of other questions. Um, but I think that's probably the end for, for this week. So it just remains to say as ever, hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you've got any thoughts, ideas, questions, drop us a line at givingthought at cafonline.org. 
Uh, and we'll be putting links to blogs and publications where we've talked about all of the stuff we've discussed today uh, in the show notes. Uh, so we will hopefully see you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.